0: Hey, everyone, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge podcast. I've got something a little bit different today. I put out a survey for the podcast a little while ago, and uh, on some of the responses, uh, one of the questions was about, would you rather have more podcasts that were shorter duration, fewer podcasts that were longer duration, or a mixture of both? And I think the overwhelming response was, it might be nice to have a mixture of both, where I have my normal sort of like 60 to 90-minute podcast episodes, but then in between I've got some shorter episodes that are maybe 15-20 minutes, somewhere in there, to discuss smaller topics that are still important but maybe can't fill a whole show. So today is one of those episodes. I got an email from a podcast listener, asking me for tips, tricks, and general insight when it comes to tracking with compressors, meaning you're recording through analog compressors and committing to the sound. This is a a pretty great topic to discuss because a lot of you out there, maybe you own some analog compressors or maybe one, or maybe you've thought about it, Are there benefits, the pros and cons? So, I'm just gonna talk about that for a little bit today and talk about why I love to do it and some reasons why you might consider doing it for your workflow. All right, let's go for it. Okay, so first things first, I thought I'd talk about some of the pros, cons, and misconceptions. So, here's some pros. Number one, analog compressors will generally enhance the tone of what you're working on. Um, they will usually add some sort of harmonic coloration, whether they're tube or solid state. Um, they still have amplifiers in them, just like mic preamps do, uh, for makeup gain, and they have a certain sound. Some of them are a little brighter, some of them are a little bit smoother. Um, Some of them will add a little more distortion than others, and some of them will will be pretty darn transparent. Like, uh, if you have the Distressor in Bypass and the distortion modes are off, it sounds like nothing. I mean, it's super, super clean. Number two, you are protecting yourself a little bit from clipping your converters. Usually that's not a great sound when we clip our converters and even that little bit of compression can help pull back a sound uh, and prevent it from clipping your converters. Now, there's a little bit of a catch to this because that does depend on what compressor you're using. If the compressor is something like a DBX-160 that has a real, like, clean but aggressive grab to it, a lot of times that will enhance the transient, meaning it would be more likely to clip. So just be aware of that. It really depends what the sound is and how you're compressing it and how hard you're compressing it. Like, you might actually make it more likely to clip based on how the compressor is set or, you know. So just just keep that in mind. Uh, Number three, it helps you get to the end goal faster and allows the client to hear it more polished now. That's a big one for me because I have a sound in my head, and I've been doing it long enough where that sound often includes compression on, say, a a vocal sound or a guitar sound, like the sound in my head, I've done it enough to know, you know, I might do this to get that sort of compressed sound. Now, I don't always know. It's always a bit of an experiment um, when working with compressors, but I have an idea, perhaps, of at least you know, this vocal needs to be really compressed or, like, I want the compression to be really aggressive. At least I have a general direction, right? Um, So it helps us get to that goal faster and almost anything in the recording world that helps me get closer to my goal faster, that's pretty hard for me to turn down. Number four, it helps vocalists or instrumentalists hear themselves more consistently when they're performing. This is another big one. Um, Singers have mentioned it to me and notice, they're like, man, I sound great, and that, to me, is big because if they feel like they sound better than they normally do, if they feel like there's something special going on, that they can hear themselves well, and oh my gosh, I've never heard myself so clear, and I can, you know, are you compressing me, what are you doing? That will help them sing better, hear themselves better, feel more confident, and that's huge because that's not something you can fix later if their confidence is really low because they sound like crazy clean and you know, just bare naked sitting out there in the live room, you know, like (laughs) it can be uncomfortable to hear yourself through a really nice microphone and especially if you're not, you know, that comfortable in the studio or whatever. And I find that compression helps to kind of make a vocal sound just a little more controlled, a little more polished, and, and it gives singers a little bit of confidence, which for me, that's big. And of course, number five, it helps you save time in the mix. That's a big one too, because, like I said, almost anything that helps me save time, um, like if I'm thinking, "Oh, I was gonna do that anyway," then, I mean, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty down for that. We're gonna talk a little bit about what things I compress and why a little bit later. But okay, so let's move to the cons. Now, the biggest con that everybody has on their mind and that everybody brings up when they send me an email about this is. If I overdo it on the compression, I can't undo it later, and I can't blah blah blah, and I'm worried about overdoing it. I get that, okay? It's very real concern, and trust me, you will do it. You will overdo it sometimes. Um, I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but that's a big con. Number two, they're really expensive. Like, compressors, especially tube compressors, they're just really expensive. And you could spend 3000 bucks on one, and you only have one. You know, like people talk about like it's so funny because like I have younger students or interns, whatever they they talk about how expensive like UAD plugins are, and it's like, dude, you you can spend three hundred dollars on a plugin and use it as many times as your computer will allow or you know the processing will allow. It's like I spent three thousand dollars on my Tube Tech and I have one of them and I can use it. I can use it on one thing. <laughs> you know, if I'm recording a full band or whatever, you know, I can use it on one track. If I'm using it in a mix, I have, you know, I have to print it one by one. It's it's a lovely compressor, but my gosh, uh, analog compressors are really expensive. And you don't know if they're going to retain value over time. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. They sometimes will need maintenance. You know, I just had to send in my LA-3 somewhat recently and you know, get it repaired, it was getting really noisy, you know, it happens, so that's definitely a con. And one more con is that sometimes the control, dynamic control will mess with singers or players that are really sensitive to dynamics. I find that a lot with with certain singers who are really used to hearing their voice a certain way in their inner mix or whatever, they'll notice it doesn't feel right, and when they sing loud, Um, they'll feel the compressor kind of push back against them and they won't like it. So make sure if you start noticing them, I don't know, it's hard to describe, if you start noticing them kind of asking about their mix, can you turn my vocal up, can you turn my vocal down, and they keep kind of going back and forth, you might ask them, hey, do you want me to turn off the compression on your voice? It's worth a try, you know what I mean? Just turn the compressor and bypass and see if they sing better, you know? Usually, what I do is when we're getting sounds, I will play the song, I'll set my gain level on my mic preamp, and I'll usually, I usually don't record with much EQ on a vocal. If anything, usually just a high pass filter. I don't really do much EQ. If every now and then there's a little bit of a chesty tone or a nasal tone, or maybe it's a, a little bit dark, I might add the tiniest little bit, like a dB of EQ, but I try to keep it really, really sparing on vocals. But I note kind of how they're singing without the compression. Are they singing really controlled? Are they singing kind of loose? Are they singing really dynamic, kind of dynamic? What's the song like? So at this point, while I'm listening to them, once I have my gain levels set, you know, we're about a minute into the song. It doesn't take very long to get that stuff. And then I'll pop in a compressor... And really try to notice not so much what the compressor is doing first, but do they sing it differently? Are they just warming up? Are they singing better because the compression is there? You know, just just be aware of that, that it will mess with certain singers when you add compression. Now, sometimes, like I said, they will sing better with it. I find, personally, it's probably about 80% of the time they sing better with it, and about 20% of the time they don't want any of it. But we're going to talk about how to, you know, maybe protect yourself against that also. So, uh, let's talk about some misconceptions about using compression. Number one, they're not always better than the plugins. Some of them can be noisy, they can distort too easily, they require maintenance. The plugins can be more transparent in certain cases, and in a lot of situations, that might be what you want on a certain sound, whether it's a voice or whatever. For example, I almost never compress stringed instruments while recording, like violin and stuff like that. And a lot of the reason is because I, I I like to do a lot of automation on them rather than using compression. But even if I wanted to use a compressor, I would probably be more likely to use something super, super clean, like FabFilter Pro-C. Just because that compressor is really clean. And yeah, it is kind of colorless. It doesn't have much character to it. But it does that thing really, really well. And let's be honest, like, a lot of times when we compress something, we don't necessarily want color. We want control, and that's it. We don't want it to change the sound that much. We just want it to be a little more controlled. So for that, sometimes it's better to just do it in the box because digital compressors have things like look-ahead and side-chaining and all of this other stuff that analog compressors struggle to have. You know, it's pretty rare to see that On your average analog compressor especially you know with digital with the look ahead stuff i mean you can get some crazy effects and do compression that is faster than analog compression or you can do like pre-delay on the compression which is wild like there's so many cool things you can do in the box with compression and it's really easy to do parallel compression in the box i mean there are some good arguments for why waiting for the mix is is better but you know I'm just saying they're not always going to be better than the plug-in. Me, personally, I do love the sound of analog compressors, and I do think the analog compressors, most of the time, sound a little bit better than the plugins, especially when it comes to tube compressors, and especially, especially when it comes to mu designs, like the Manly Verimu, Fairchild, uh, 176, something about the way that the veramu type compressors operate it just sounds so much better in the analog domain now don't get me wrong the uad stuff like the 176 and the fairchild they're great and i enjoy using them but my 176 or my uh, retro stay level man there is no plugin i have that touches that it's it really is prominent however my distressor hardware and the UAD Distressor plugin, uh, I mean, I like them both and they both sound great. I couldn't really say which one sounds better or worse. I'm just being honest. I, I yeah, I love my Distressors and I have two of them and I use them all the time. But if I had to really go head to head and say, does the plugin sound as good? I mean, I think at this point, they're so close, they might as well be the same. Because it's not a better or worse game, it's just, this one's a little different. Okay, so, I'm gonna list for you the things that I always compress, the things that I sometimes compress, and the things that I intentionally don't compress while tracking. So, things that I always compress, or, you know, 99% of the time. Vocals, bass, clean guitars, drum room mics, snare drum, and horns. Those things I'm almost guaranteed to use a compressor on, even if the vocalist doesn't like the compression. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Now, things I sometimes compress. Acoustic guitar, distorted or driven electric guitars... And then instruments like banjo, mandolin, dobro, folk instruments like that, you know, 12-string acoustic, that sort of thing. Percussion, like shakers and tambourines, that's like a 50-50 chance. Depends on what the percussion sound is. And it also depends if I'm using the same drum setup that I have been using and I'm just like, I just like move over an overhead mic. Maybe I, you know, whatever. Now, things that I intentionally don't compress, even if I'd like to, I intentionally don't compress stringed instruments, so upright bass, cello, violin, viola. Now, I will sometimes compress upright bass in, like, a pop context or a folk context if I have it on a parallel channel, so I might—I don't think I'd ever do it in series, though. I would I would either duplicate— Uh, Or use a different mic running through a compressor and the other one wouldn't. Anyway, we'll get to that in a second. And I also never compress woodwind instruments, flute, clarinet, so on. And I also intentionally don't compress toms. And the main reason for that is for bleed. I like the sound of compression on toms. But I I also hate bleed on tom mics, and I know that if I compress them, it's just going to bring that bleed up. And if I don't nail the compression, I'm going to hate myself, so I purposely don't compress toms. Okay, so a few good tips when working with analog compressors. Number one, your first analog compressor, I believe, should be something super versatile, and for that... I mean, there's really none other that I can recommend but the Distressor. I know it's like 1200 bucks or something, I don't know exactly how much it is right now, but it will work on anything. It can be subtle, it can be aggressive, it can be set slow, it can be set fast, you can make it really clean, or you can give it some harmonics with the, you know, the second and third distortion buttons. I'm sure there are other compressors out there, but in terms of versatility from a myriad of different sounds, it, it really is the one. It's the Swiss Army Knife compressor, and, and it sounds so good, I've had mine for years, years, and they work exactly as good as they did on day one, and they never let me down. I actually really love the Distressor on vocals, on acoustic guitars, snare drum. It's a killer compressor. It's not just like, oh, it's really versatile. It sounds great. Uh, It's got a lot of different ratios, big wide range of attack and release, and I find that it seems to help people learn about compression because it's very clear. Um, big knobs, big lettering, easy to switch things in and out and hear the difference, lots of different ratios. I mean, it's an overall a great piece. I don't recommend getting something like a DBX-160 and maybe not even 1176. I mean, maybe, but those are so much more aggressive by default and you can't really change as much about them as you can on the Distressor. For example, like a DBX-160... I love that compressor, but only on, like, three or four things. I hate it on vocals. I hate it on electric guitars. Unless they're super clean, funky guitars, that can be pretty cool. It's terrible on acoustic guitars, in my opinion. I mean, there there are so many things I hate it on. But then the things that it's great on, it sounds amazing. 1176 does sound pretty great on almost anything, but it's also really aggressive. And, you know... For people who are worried about committing to things, that might not be the one for you because it can it can get really aggressive really quickly. So I would recommend starting with something like the Distressor. Okay, tip number two, audit your mixes. What I mean is look at the things that you do in the mix, things that you like, things that you like the sound of and tend to do. And that may give you a better idea of what things you're considering compressing or should consider compressing on the way in. So, for example, if you never compress electric guitar, then why start now? <laughs> um, but if you like to run lots of compressors on ser- in series on bass or vocal, maybe you should consider running those through a compressor while tracking. That also can inform you some of... Maybe the types of compressors to look at while you're shopping. You know, just looking for things that will be good on bass or drums or guitar, whatever you need. Tip number three. When in doubt, use a line level splitter and record a clean and compressed version. Now, I do this a lot because it's super easy to do. Uh, You just split the signal at the patch bay and you can run one to a compressor and the other one just goes straight into the converters and you can just record both, A a clean and a compressed one. I mean, it's the best of both worlds because not only does that allow you to monitor either one, so the whole thing of like it messing with a singer, that doesn't have to be a problem because you can send them... Just the clean one, even if you're going to use the compressed one. Or in the mix, if you screw up the compressed one, you don't have to use it. You can use the clean one. Or you can use both in a parallel compression thing. You don't have to worry about any latency because it's all analog, right? So, I mean, it's a win-win. I really like doing this, especially when the vocalist is super dynamic or kind of overly dynamic. And this is also my go-to technique when it comes to uh, heavy singers, so like metal, punk, that sort of music. I run one compressor really, really hard, and I feed them a little bit of both the clean and the compressed one so they can hear some of their louder notes poking through, but... Part of that sound is a super compressed vocal. Like, you just can't get that sound that a lot of those guys want without a ton of compression. So it's kind of a must for that. But I still record both. That allows me to use the clean one if I want to, if I need to redo the sort of compression, or I want to try a plug-in instead. Or it allows me to blend them. Or it allows me to just use the compressed one. Tip number four. You will screw it up sometimes. And when you do... One thing that you can do is use transient designer plugins things like FabFilter Pro-MB that has upward expansion um, or Spiff by Oak Sound um, these are both transient designer you know compressor transient designer plugins that can do ex- you know uh, compression and expansion um Generally speaking, using more compression is not going to help it, but things that can do expansion and transient processing, that's what you want to look for. And if you're careful, uh, Waves, TransX is another one uh, that, you know, it's a good one that just came to mind. You can do some really amazing things with these processors to help bring back some of the transient life if you've squashed it a little bit too much. Because, again, what you're trying to do is, like, expand the transients to be big again and, like, undo the compression action. So when you screw up, and you will, I promise you, it will happen, look for those. And don't beat yourself up too much for screwing up. We've all done it. Anybody who's recorded with analog compression has done it a little bit too much. I would say the one thing to not risk it on would be the vocal. If you're really not sure, then just don't, don't do it at all. But on a, on a guitar or a snare or whatever, sometimes you overdo it. And when you overdo it, don't beat yourself up too much. Okay, and my final tip of the day is a little bit goes a long way sometimes just tapping the compression a little bit one two three db will take the edge off of the sound prevent clipping and just give it better tone you don't have to compress a lot to make an impact and and or to make it useful or worth it In fact, I remember one time, um, after I got my Distressors, I recorded a song where every single track went through the Distressors. And we recorded stuff, like, uh, in sort of batches, so we did, like— uh, you know, our scratch tracks, but then we did drums like kick and snare, and then we did cymbals, and then we did bass, and we did guitar, and we did acoustic, and we did vocals. We just kind of did it in little bits, you know. And we used everything possible on the Distressor just to kind of see what it could do. And we used 2-to-1, 4-to-1, 6-to-1, we used the distortion modes, we used everything. But the thing that was most notable to me is that when it was done, I remember thinking like, Man, I didn't even go crazy with the compression, but it just sounds like glued. Like right away, it sounds more together and more gelled. Um, And I was not even doing tons of compression on anything. But I think part of it was it almost was acting like mix bus compression in a way because everything had a little bit of compression. That's not to say that... That's the answer to compress every single thing. What I'm saying is it really was is striking to me how just a little bit on every every instrument made such a big difference when it all combined. So when in doubt with compression, a little bit goes a long way. You don't have to slam something unless you want to or unless you're prepared to commit it. And uh, don't be afraid to compress 5 DB, 10 DB if that's what sounds great, you know, it it will take some time to get used to, but over time, you'll get more comfortable with it. You'll know what things you can get away with, especially working with the same clients again. You'll probably get a better idea for what certain vocalists need or like. Uh, and trust me, when you do overdo it, you'll learn some things pretty quick. So anyway, I hope this episode has been useful. I hope it's given you some things to consider. Hopefully, these are great tips that can help you in your search for tracking with compression. If you have any more questions, please send them my way, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Look forward to talking to you guys. Look forward to doing more of these sort of shorter episodes, and hopefully they're helpful for you. Let me know if you like this format, you know, mixed in between longer episodes. And if you have any ideas, send them my way. All right, I'll talk to you next time.